Jay Schultz here. It is time for the On a Roll show, and which means it's time for Cinema Talk. And in the studio, I have my good friend Michelle Thaler. Hi, Michelle. Hi. And on the phone from the north shore of, of Chicago, north of Chicago there, mm-hmm. Bruce Stout. Bruce, how are you, buddy? Mm-hmm. I'm well, I'm well. How y'all doing? Doing fantastic. Welcome to 2023. Yes. Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. So, hey, guys, it's, it's great to have you on. And, uh, you know, I guess what we'll do is I will just go ahead and lead us in. So hold on to your, hold on to your shorts because here it comes. <laughs> All right, and that means it is time for Cinema Talk, and <laughs> and uh, this week or this month we are going to be talking about parody films, movies making fun of other movies, yeah. and uh, Michelle is going to just lead us with the beginning yeah. of our discussion. Okay, so I thought it would be helpful to define what is a parody. So uh, the dictionary definition of a parody is a creative work that imitates an existing work or style for comedic effect. And I also think it's helpful to uh, differentiate between a parody and a satire because those are often conflated. So I like this definition from filminquiry.com. Both genres are supposed to be comedic, yet parody is done with the sole purpose of entertaining through positive imitation, while satire aims to improve humanity by pointing out major flaws of an object through ridicule. So I would say like a parody is obviously something like Young Frankenstein, which we'll be talking about, which, um, you know, imitates... um, a previous film, it, it's a it's a lovingly uh, pl- pays homage to the 1931 Frankenstein film and just the classical Hollywood or Universal horror uh, films in general. While satire is something like Simpsons or South Park, where there's definitely elements of parody in there, where they mock pop culture, but I mean they like savagely skewer like our society and they make <laughs> points about. I mean, yeah, they really, especially South Park. You know, they really criticize like our culture, our government, our society. Um, so yeah, that is really the main difference between the two. So uh, like many well-known genres and subgenres, parody films have been around since the dawn of film. Uh, in 1905, Edwin S. Porter directed The Little Train Robbery, <laughs> which is both a parody and a sequel to Porter's The Great Train Robbery, which if you've ever taken a film class, you've definitely seen that film. And uh, this uh, parody film features all children <laughs> as the main actors. Yeah. Uh, Little Train Robbery, it's really cute. So the 1916 short silent film, The Mystery of the Leaping Fish, stars Do- Douglas Fairbanks Sr. as a drugged up parody of Sherlock Holmes. That actually sounds like that'd be interesting. So Buster (laughs) Keaton um, was um, also known for making parodies in addition to his brilliant um, original uh, lauded silent comedies. So uh, he made the film Three Ages in 1923, which is a parody of D.W. Griffith's Intolerance and The Frozen North from 1922 uh, spoofs uh, the Western genre, specifically, I believe, like melodramatic Westerns. Uh, So Charlie Chaplin's (laughs) 1940s classic dark comedy, The Great dictator would be considered more of a satire based on that definition I provided just a minute or two ago. But I I also think it does, it would be considered a parody in a way because Chaplin was heavily influenced by Lenny Reifenstahl's propaganda documentary, The Triumph of the Will. He watched that many times and he he watched how Hitler acted in that film so he could parody him in The Great Dictator, which you haven't seen, if you haven't seen that phenomenal film. Uh, So Abbott and Costello's horror comedies like Abbott and Costello meet 
Bride's Frankenstein from 1948, feature uh, horror icons Lon Chaney Jr. and Bela Lugosi parroting their famous uh, universal horror characters, so definitely a great example of early uh, parody films. Uh, now, parody films rose in popularity in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, there was uh, some good examples of the James Bond parody uh, Casino Royale, starring David Niven and Peter Sellers. That was released in 1967. In 1972, Woody Allen wrote and starred in Play It Again, Sam, which heavily references uh, Casablanca. Now, uh, the 1970s also gave us the rise of the greatest film parodist. I think we could say that without hesitation of all time Mel Brooks so just to highlight uh, we will be talking about him today uh, just to highlight some of his uh, most beloved uh, parodies there's of course Blazing Saddles from 1974 which is a western parody Young Frankenstein uh, from 1974 as I said that's a parody of universal horror films in the 1930s specifically Karloff's Frankenstein uh, silent movie from 1976 which I'm sure you can guess what that parodies uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah mainly parodies Chaplin and Keaton uh, silent comedies uh, High Anxiety from 1977 is a parody of mostly uh, Hitchcock films and then one of my all-time favorite movies Spaceballs from 1987 parodies sci-fi movies specifically the Star Wars trilogy but I just have to shout out like a few of my favorite moments from that like I absolutely love Pizza the Hut I thought that was the funniest thing ever and when um, and it's actually John Hurt in the scene reprising yeah. his yes, role from Alien where the chestburster is. comes out and the chestburster scared the crap I know <laughs> and then like it pops out of his chest and it puts a little hat on it does the song and dance i love that especially because the chestburster scene scared the ever-living crap out of me so like everybody else on her. yeah so that was a nice way to sort of neutralize that fear um there's also robin hood men in tights i'm sure you can tell what that's parroting from 1993 and one of my family's favorites dracula done loving it from 1995 so many film experts agree that parodies reached their pinnacle in the 1980s so the Zucker Brothers gave us some of the greatest film parodies of all time, including Airplane from 1980, which is also one of the greatest comedies of all time. It's, a, of course, a spoof of disaster films like um, Zero Hour from 1957. And I think, what's up, like Airport 1974 or 5, Bruce? I think we were talking about that earlier. Um, yes, yeah, like yes, those, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, those kind of disaster films. And then also, yeah, uh, Zucker Brothers also gave us one of my dad and I's favorite movies of all time. I watched this like 8 million times growing up, The Naked Gun. Starring Leslie Nielsen as his character from Police Squad, which is uh, a show that mocks uh, police procedurals. So I would also argue that the greatest mockumentary of all time, this is Spinal Tap from 1984, is a parody because it um, parodies rock right. documentaries like Martin Scorsese's sure. The Last Waltz. Um, How would you compare that to the Ruddles? I mean, it's the Ruddles are basically oh, the same the thing. Ruddles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, and then in um, 1988, um, Keenan Ivory Wayans. Uh, made his directorial debut with the black exploitation spoof I'm gonna get you sucker which we'll be talking about in detail today so moving to the 1990s we get some excellent and not so great and pretty forgettable <laughs> parody films uh, so Jim Abrams co-director of airplane directed one of my favorite parodies of all time the Top Gun parody hot shots I love hot shots it's <laughs> so much fun yeah, it's so good. And mainly, yeah, Perry. I love the character gun. Dead Meat. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> wa wa that, that scene where they've got him walking across the runway. Yes. And he walks underneath the ladder. I mean, all the things, you know. Oh, oh and tell, tell, tell my wife the, the assassination of Kennedy. I figured it out. I'll let her know when we get back. I mean, all your are I know. Oh, it's so God. good. It's, it's so funny. So amazing. So other great parodies from the 90s include another one of my childhood favorites, um, Austin Powers, International yes. Man of Mystery. 
Diary, of course, yep. the parody of James Bond, uh, uh, written and uh, written and by and starring Mike Myers. Um, also. Another one of my favorite movies, uh, The Beloved Galaxy Quest, Great is a movie. spoof of Star Trek. Not just uh, Star Trek, but Trekkies and uh, fandom culture and other popular sci-fi works. I just, that movie is just so close Alan to my Rickman, heart. Alan Rickman <laughs> is, as, as, what was his character's name? Dane? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. But by the Sons of Warbond, by the Glockthar's Hammer, I shall avenge you. Yeah. Alan Rickman, like, was, I mean, he was amazing in everything, but he, in that, like, one of my favorite Alan Rickman roles. But, like, Sigourney Weaver just keeps, like, clothes keep coming off of yes. her throughout the movie. Yeah, <laughs> making fun of how women yeah. are often portrayed yes. in these old sci-fi yeah, series. I love, yeah, one of my favorite Same, same thing with, uh, with when uh, Tim Allen's shirt, you're, and you're with your sh- without your shirt yeah. again, right? You know? Yes. <laughs> I know. If you haven't seen Galaxy Quest, you uh, have it's, it. it's a great, it one. is a great movie. So let's move on to the not-so-great parodies of the 90s. Now, these are ones I remember on cable a lot, so you both can tell me if you remember these um so there's repossessed from 1990 which is an exorcist parody starring linda blair who gets repossessed and um it's it also has leslie nielsen as a, like a priest does anybody do you guys remember yeah, this one? I, remember, okay. I never saw it <laughs> okay, I remember. not not great <laughs> i never saw it either no <laughs> we also have loaded weapon yeah. one which that one wasn't too bad which i'm sure you could tell but that's a parody Make, of, right yeah um from 1993 starring emilio estevez and samuel jackson as in like the rig as a Riggs and murtaugh parodies there's also the erotic thriller parody fatal instinct from 1993 with armand asante and sean young obviously parodying like fatal attraction and basic instincts mm-hmm. and yeah. one that my dad and i used to watch that's not great but kind of fun uh, jane austen's mafia <laughs> from 1998 which spoofs like the godfather casino a lot of gangster films i believe that was one of lloyd bridges's last you know what about if, if, speaking speaking of a i don't know if it's a spoof but mm-hmm. uh if you remember the the freshman with marlon brando and oh, and, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. and yeah matthew broderick and mm-hmm. matthew broderick and the iguana or the, and the right the exactly giant, where, whatever it is. where brando is in the movie and yeah it, like, but and it's he's making fun of the Godfather. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, of think, the Godfather. Yeah. I think that would count. Yeah, definitely on a level for sure. That's so, like a, a higher level because yeah. it's not doing a it's not doing the running joke. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, moving to the two thousands, uh, the probably arguably the most uh, popular parody film of that era was the Wayans Brothers slasher comedy Scary Movie from 2000, which is a parody of Scream, which in other slashers, but some people say Scream is a parody of slashers Correct. itself, so that's something that's definitely Give credit to arguing. Mike Schindler, because he yeah. picked Scream as yeah. his favorite parody movie, yeah. you know? Which is, it yeah. is making oh, yeah. fun yes, of... it is. You know, yeah. All the slasher film. tropes yep, and yep. all the cliches, don't run up, why do they? Yeah. Why does she run upstairs when she should run out the door and Neff yeah. runs upstairs? So um, I actually like Scary Movie. I thought yeah. It was pretty funny. Um, Of course, the sequels weren't as good as the original. But I do want to highlight what I think are some of the worst parody movies of all time. And I I don't mean to, like, hate on these guys. But Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer made um, Date Movie from 2006, Epic Movie from 2007, Meet the Spartans, and Disaster Movie from 2008. And Meet the Spartans has to be one of the worst movies I've ever seen. (laughs) These were so lazy and uninspired you know like they didn't even put thought into the jokes or the references like compare movies like this to like young frankenstein where there's so much thought and love and reverence put into the parody and there's just none of that mm-hmm. it's just lazy as heck sorry guys to call you out but i don't like those movies <laughs> okay. so but let's end on the positive so how do you here. really feel about that yeah 
<laughs> Sorry yeah. if Jason Friedberg or Aaron Seltzer is listening. <laughs> right. But uh, to highlight some of the positive uh, parodies of the, of the 2000s. Um, now, these weren't like we, we were just talking about traditional parodies. I wouldn't call these traditional parodies, but they're still parodies. Um, there's gems like Tropic Thunder from 2008, which parodies like uh, Hollywood war films. And really, I, Hollywood I'm itself. I'm the dude yeah. playing the other dude. <laughs> playing the du- yeah. I love and Tropic it, Thunder. I saw it like <sighs> twice in the theater when it came out. It's I just so good. Love and you know, it, the, you know, it, the best it. part of that is is Tom Cruise's character <laughs> as Les, was it Les yeah, Grossman? Yeah, Grossman. And they're t- actually talking about doing another film with him playing that character. He oh, wants I'd, to I'd, do it. I'd go in a heartbeat. Oh, my God, it's like, so good. With him dancing at the end. And Hader, oh wasn't God. Hader his Bill assistant? Hader was the assistant, oh, yep. Yes. Good Lord. I'd be there in a heartbeat. Yeah, if they're going to make a, a, so a, a spinoff of that, I am there. And then um, also want to talk about Edgar Wright's Shaun, Shaun of, of the, the Dead, Dead from yep. 2004 and Hot Fuzz from 2007, which we'll be talking about today, are spot-on spoofs of both uh, like Romero zombie films and and like 80s and 90s buddy action films respectively specifically american action films but they're still hilarious and brilliant comedies in their own right and i think that's what makes a like a really uh, you know i think that those that's what makes a really good parody film right. you know um as opposed to those ones i was talking about that weren't great so but let's talk about one of the i think the greatest parody film of all yeah. time the greatest mel brooks film of all time and that is young frankenstein and bruce is going to lead us in that discussion how do you pronounce that bruce <laughs> Uh, well, it's very, very uh, precise. It's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Very important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, later in the film, he owns up to the what we would call the uh, conventional. Real quickly, a moment ago, Jay, you brought up the Ruddles, which is a Monty Python spoof of the Beatles. Yeah. Yes. And I that totally uh, slipped my mind. But you could say that was a precursor to Spinal Tap. The more yes, I've been thinking was. about it, you know, it's not a very well-known movie though. But I just remember they're like part of the documentary. It's it's set like a rockumentary like Spinal Tap is, but they're interviewing one of the Ruddles' great influences, and it's a blues singer from the the trope of, you know, the old gentleman sitting out in the porch, but his name is Blind Lemon Pie. I don't know why. <laughs> I just had a conversation with Blind Lemon Pie. I don't know why I remember That's that. Funny. Anyway, getting on to uh, Young Frankenstein. Yes, the running joke is pronounced Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was released in 1974, directed by the great Mel Brooks, written by Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder. Um, Mary Shelley is also credited in the actual um, the wow. credits of who wrote the screenplay, which I thought was, it was mm-hmm. about her. Uh, of course, she wrote the very original Frankenstein. Um, it was distributed by 20th Century Fox. It stars Gene Wilder, Peter Boyle as the monster, uh, Marty Feldman as Igor, Madeline Kahn. She plays Elizabeth, Cloris Leachman, Frau Blucher. I'll get to that in a minute. Terry Garr, <laughs> who is just a very... Yes, exactly. We're going to get to that, trust me. Um, Terry Garr, who just winds up... It's a very early Terry Garr. She's beautiful, and she. I just got to oh. say, you know, whether you're talking about Tootsie or Close Encounters or even a film like Oh God... She's just really, uh, she's classic. It, it, it just seems like goofiness and sort of, it, it just comes effortless. You know, she's wonderful yeah. in, in sort of a ditzy way. But Mr. Mom, I remember her most. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Mom. I remember Mom. Mr. Mom. Yeah. You know, on and on and on. And, and you used to be at Letterman, right? Didn't Letterman used to get her like all that? She'd be in the shower and she'd be interviewing her in the shower. It was yeah, yeah, weird yeah, yeah. stuff. I mean, it was weird. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the point I'm making, Terry Dar is just a good sport, no matter what. You know, so kudos to her. Kenneth Mars, who plays the inspector. And and this is very important to point out, an uncredited Gene Hackman, who plays the blind man that the monster, it's a very, very funny scene. Uh, The monster ends up. What does he say when the monster leaves? Oh, um, I was going to make espresso. Yeah, I was going to make espresso. And then he's trying to, like, light the uh, cigar. He's blind. He sets the monster's finger on fire, and Peter Boyle (laughs) goes, Um, i got to share something really quickly that's kind of strange about Peter Boyle. Um, I was just watching, not long ago, the morning news of 9-11. And I know this is a strange thing to bring up, but they were they interviewed like moments before it all went down. They were interviewing Peter Boyle and they were asking him to make the noises of the monster from Young Frankenstein. I don't know why I brought that up, but I just I just remember <laughs> they're interviewing him moments before. So Peter Boyle, of course, went on to um, Everybody Loves Raymond, for yes, example. Yeah. And a lot of very good season, the candidate with Robert Redford, but uh, Marty Feldman, famous for his eyes. Uh, also shows up in um, Silent Movie is another one. Marty Feldman was a, a big collaborator with Mel Brooks. Uh, Madeline Conclose, Slate Jim Guard, Kenneth Mars, Chad uh, Gene Hackman, we spoke about. But the film is invariably compared to Brooks's other hugely funny and successful comedy from 1974, Blazing Saddles. And both films featured Wilder, for example. Blazing Saddles got into a little bit of hot weather, uh, water rather, because of the sort of racial... Uh, it was a good-natured parody of Westerns, but I just remember the controversy all the way back in 74. But it is a very, very well-loved film. And it was to the point where 70s filmgoers actually divided themselves into two groups and praising the two hit blockbusters. And if that were the case, I definitely uh, would align myself with the young Frankenstein camp. Yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts about that real quick? Like, uh, Katie, you remember the two? Uh, or oh, Michelle? Oh, well, I was just going to say, like, um, my family were definitely in the young Frankenstein camp. My dad's a huge, huge Mel Brooks fan. And I think Blazing Saddles is brilliant, but I just don't have that connection to it like I do with, like, Spaceballs and Young Frankenstein. It just wasn't part of my child, well, probably for good reason. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I definitely, yeah, I'm with you. I was in the young Frankenstein camp. As no, I, I'm definitely yeah. uh, the Blazing Saddles side of it. But, oh. it, but it's, I mean, I love both movies. I yeah. love both movies. I just, I think I've seen Blazing yeah. Saddles more. Mm-hmm. You know, I just have, yeah. I mean, and, and. I, I don't know. I, I just, mm. I love Blazing Saddles. Yeah. The, don't get me wrong. Young yeah, Frankenstein we, is so good. Yeah. I mean, they're both, both, oh, they're both, they're, they're both they, they came out in the same year, which is amazing. Yeah, I know that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah that, that, that really is. Yeah. And it, it's a testament to how popular Brooks was really on top of this game in the, yeah. specifically 74. But the film has, as we spoke about a moment ago, some of the most quoted movie tropes of any comedy of all time. I was just viewing this earlier this morning, reviewing it, because I've probably seen it more times mm-hmm. than I can count. But the scene, if you all remember, very early on, and yeah, I guess that he corrects the student for, um, he's giving, uh, Gene Wilder's giving some kind of symposium, and he's yeah. very adamant about the pronunciation because he's trying to distance himself from the heritage, so to speak. Yeah. But I love the scene where he's trying to basically illustrate voluntary impulses from involuntary ones. And the poor guy, he knees him in the groin. And <laughs> some guy, they just wheel in on a gurney, you know, probably some med student signed up, you know, like, yeah. like we would do for a focus survey for money or whatever. And finally, the poor guy is writhing in pain on the gurney. And Hackman, or Hackman, Wilder just goes, eh. 
give him an extra dollar or whatever, just really can't. But that whole scene is just really, really hilarious. And um, some of the uh, feature, I didn't know this until I researched, some of the featured set pieces were actually used in the original Universal yep. Frankenstein movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, in my experience, this was one of the first examples of the rapid-fire jokes-a-million-miles-a-minute technique that would be very prevalent in later popular slapstick comedies, such as Michelle mentioned Airplane and Naked Gun franchises. What I wanted to mention about that, too, is when the Zucker brothers, uh, the, the brain trust behind Airplane and Naked Gun, and you all remember Police Squad, the TV series, which yep. inspired Naked Gun and Frank Drebin, Leslie Nielsen, classic uh, Frank Drebin. But what I wanted to say, you know, juxtaposing that to, to Mel Brooks, um, in 1980 when Airplane um, was released, now Mel Brooks sort of had competition. Um, so. You know, yep. <laughs> um, because yep. of the new ones with like uh, Young Frankenstein, you know, the jokes are it's almost Frank like um, if you Frankenstein, if you uh, mm. if you blink, you might miss something. <laughs> but I wanted to point that out. And I mean, there's probably some kind of latent or not inspiration that the Zucker brothers certainly took. And I think you guys might know better than I do. I think at some point the Zucker brothers collaborated or might have sort of collaborated with Mel Brooks, but I'm not sure about that, but that would make total sense to me. Sad to say, I don't know. I don't know. Not know if they no, ever worked I'm together. Not sure. yeah. Yeah. yeah, it'd be good to investigate. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or source material or something yeah. like that. But um, this was uh, one of the very first true film parodies that I can recall seeing at a very young age in ninth grade. And Jay, you and I are talking about frequently we have in the past about growing up with HBO. I didn't screen Young Frankenstein in 1974 at the cinema. I waited for it to come. They. <laughs> He's going to keep going. Uh, you're going to say it. I want to do it. No, I, 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 okay, I created a monster. Yes, you did. It. I created a nice. monster. Nice. I see what you did there. Nice. I see what you did there. Nice. Oh, God. Even I've grown at that. Uh, but the film scored, and this is, I wanted to point this out, it scored a considerable 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I, don't know how anyone, I don't know how anyone gives this a negative score. I, yeah, this is, I know. She must have no sense of humor. I know. This is, this is the top bar of of yes. parody yeah. this and blazing yeah. saddles to me doesn't mm-hmm. get any better than that i mean airplane's very close to that you know i mean it's a yeah. different type of you know more yeah airplane's more gaggish yes. you know but yes but yeah. go ahead no, i'm sorry i apologize go ahead no no it's okay uh this film is just one of many popular and hilarious film parodies from mel brooks uh michelle touched on this earlier but films like Spaceballs. i'm glad you pointed out that scene from Spaceballs because i love it too <laughs> history of the world part one which is a very very oft-quoted uh film uh i i i love it it's good to be the king do you guys remember that uh when mel brooks is the king and it's sort of like france and he's doing shall we say various things and it's the king uh high anxiety uh which is a close runner-up i almost picked that one um as far as parroting uh there's a classic scene psycho hitchcock it's it's that kind of thing silent movie like michelle was talking about Uh, that is actually a very brilliant film silent movie is um not everybody saw it but it, it, it is really hilarious and then the beloved producers which yes. wound up not too terribly long ago becoming i think it's i know it started off with zero mistel and gene wilder yeah. but if i'm not mistaken i know it was a stage play 
but I want to say it might have even been a stage play, then a film, and then a, a stage play again. A musical, um, yeah, yeah, with um, Nathan Lane and um, Matthew and Broderick Matthew playing Broderick. the Zero Mostel yeah. and, uh, and uh, Gene Wilder Rose, respectively. It's actually pretty good. I saw the, the film version. It was really funny. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I know there's springtime for Hitler. Springtime for Germany. Hitler, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a big and deal. Will Ferrell was <laughs> in, he, he performs that song. It's really funny. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, for me, the you know young Frankenstein got it right this time. This uh, film warrants many subsequent viewings, largely, like I said, because of the frenetic comedy nuance throughout the movie. And I've seen it at least ten times, probably more times than I can count, me too. Uh, as in this morning. <laughs> and uh, for me and many others, Blazing Saddles and this film put Gene Wilder on the map, and oh, yeah. just a wonderful career, and with the promise of many more good things to come. He misses a beat once in a while, but more often than not. And the other thing, watching him today, and maybe this is the actor in me, but watching that sequence that I was talking about in the lab early on in the movie, Gene Wilder, whether you're talking about Willy Wonka or, in this case, Young Frankenstein, he's got really expressive eyes. And I can kind of see why, in a way, he's not matinee idol material, but like someone like Gilda Radner would kind of fall for him because, yes, he's goofy and funny. But yeah, I just, for some reason, I, he's like, wow, he's got really expressive eyes. I but, adore him. Uh, <laughs> I was genuinely yeah. heartbroken when he passed away because he was such a, a significant oh. part of my childhood, you know, not just yeah, part Mel of Brooks childhood. movies, but yeah. Willy Wonka, too, you know. So anyway. Oh, yeah, for sure. And many of the supporting cast members enjoyed abundant careers before and after the film, such as Peter Boyle. Yeah. Uh, Everybody Loves Raymond mm-hmm. and many other feature films. The Candidate with Robert Redford. He plays the campaign manager, and it's a very serious role, mm-hmm. um, but that's a testament to, to his versatility. But, yeah, the campaign manager is a very, very important part of that plot line. It's actually, I don't mean to plug the candidate too much, but it's a very good um, film. But Cloris Leachman, um, who played Phyllis, which was a spinoff of the Mary yep. Tyler Moore show. Yep. And so my technology is going to... And as I mentioned earlier about Terry Gard, she's had many other credits. Mm-hmm. And curiously, on more than one occasion, playing the spouse or girlfriend of a misunderstood, of misunderstood characters, such yeah. as, oh, God, John Denver, you know, speaks to God, and she's the wife. And, you know, she thinks, it, well, the rest of the world thinks he's crazy, so she has to support him. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, almost the same example. She's married to a cuckoo, you know, she's uh, <laughs> flying saucers, and uh, nobody believes him either. So I, I, I remember making that, you know, sort of corollary theme there. And then much later in Tootsie, now she's the girlfriend of a goofy guy. She was great. <laughs> you know, she's Tootsie. great in everything. I love Terry Gar. Like, she's just fantastic. Everything. Anyway. Yeah, and I wanted to, to point this out uh, in the much replayed scene where the horses have a panicked reaction <laughs> upon hearing the name of Frau Blucher. Uh, and it's something of an inside. Well, I was just telling, I was actually talking to my therapist about this, this film uh, a couple of hours ago, but he, he did not know what I'm about to explain to you guys. But um, it's something of an inside joke because the German word for glue, and glue is allegedly made from dead horses, is blucher. And so whenever that word is spoken, of course, the horses in their um, morbid you know, whatever, right. yeah, uh, right. they react. And I, I love, I love Gene Wilder's reaction. He's like, 
what's Scott getting to them? You know, and so they <laughs> reacted. But for some reason, the hilarious scene between the monster and the blind hermit, which is uh, more than just a cameo appearance starring Gene Hackman, yeah. uh, the noteworthy actor, is, is uncredited. And I wonder yeah. if that was contract. Uh, issues, you know, or maybe yeah. he just simply didn't want to be um, credited. The only other last thing I'll say about that curious thing, that happens a lot in feature films where mm-hmm. a very notable actor, like for example, um, I don't know, Jay, if you remember we uh, devoted a lot of time to the film Stand By Me. Yeah. Well, Richard Dreyfus narrates that entire film yeah. uh, from the point of view of the Will Wheaton character, Um and if I'm not mistaken, and at the very end shot, you see his face. You know, they come out right. and they show Richard Dreyfuss' face. Um, but he's uncredited in right. that film for whatever reason. So do you guys have thoughts about uh, Fong? And oh, yes. what I'm saying? <laughs> like I said, this is my, my family's favorite Mel Brooks film, favorite parody film. I watched this so many times as a kid, I can't even count. Um, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. Bruce picked Young Frankenstein, and my parents were like, why would you let him pick Young Frankenstein? That's our movie. But I mean, it was just in all fun. They, they were joking, you know. <laughs> but um, it, is our, it is one of my family's uh, favorite movies. And I do want to say something. You were talking about uh, Gene Hackman, who's just fantastic. I mean, he's hilarious. Yeah, I don't think of him as a comedic mm-hmm. actor, but he's so funny in this. And I think the most... Maybe you both would agree with me. The most effective parodies are the ones where, like, the scenes are so indelible that you almost you start to confuse the scenes in the parody with the scenes in the original. So sometimes my yeah. family and I we we watch the Universal Monster films on Halloween. So we'll watch the Thirty One Frankenstein with Karloff, and then there's the scene with the blind man. And my dad's sitting there. He's like. Isn't he supposed to be dropping the hot soup, you know, pouring the hot soup on uh, the monster's lap, you know, yeah. because we're so, so we're thinking it's like Young Frankenstein is so burned into our brains that that's what we expect to it's happen when we watch the original. Yes, exactly. Right. And um, now, like you said, endlessly quotable, um, Abby someone, Abby who, Abby normal, you know. Abby <laughs> normal. Yeah, you, you must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. Right. As you can, Igor, tell, you can right. tell who my Igor favorite character was when I was a kid. It was totally Igor. And I love how his hump keeps switching. <laughs> I can help you with that hump. Yeah, one hump. hump. (laughs) So good. And and the only other thing I will say, which is really funny, but remember, I watched this a lot as a kid. So as Bruce mentioned, the film uses a lot of set pieces from these original Universal uh, horror films, you know, the original Frankenstein films. Now, this now Brooks emulates the look of the classic Universal horror films so perfectly that when I was little, I thought this movie came out in the 30s. I was completely (laughs) surprised. It was 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 black. And yeah, too. and just yeah. the whole look of it, yeah. the way yeah. he uses like the transitions, he uses yep. a lot of iris, you know, like wipes and yep. old school movie transitions, yep. editing techniques. That I thought it came out in the 30s. My mom's like, no, it came out in the 70s. I was like, what? Yeah, just fun fact, kind of blew my mind. Yep, one of my favorite movies. I love it. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> no, you know, Jay, I, did you want to chime in? No, I, I, you know, nothing to be said other than it's it's a great film. Yeah, and there's. You know, memorable lines throughout. What knockers? You know, I mean, rolling the head. You know, Madeline Kahn with the, you know, like with Peter Boyle. That whole sequence is like, yeah. And she's like, just like a man, you know, six or seven times, and then you go leave to be with your friends, you know, or whatever, you know. And she's, it's just great. Oh, I think I'm in love. Yeah. Yeah, Khan. Yeah, I was just looking this up. Khan is actually my three favorite. uh, uh, um, 
uh, what's uh, Mel Brooks movies because his the world part one would be my other. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do love Spaceballs, but she was the only of the of the actors that was only in all all three of those movies. Oh. You know, she was also oh. in, in High Anxiety as well. I mean, just yeah. an outstanding cast, outstanding yeah. cast. It's so good. I mean, yeah, Cloris Leachman. Really Clor- you know, Cloris Leachman is a, is a is a secondary role in this movie, and she is an amazing yeah. actress. You know, yeah, yeah, she really Terry is. Terry Gar and Gene Hackman, Marty Feldman, Peter Boyle. Bo- you know, Boyle. I didn't realize like he was in Taxi Driver. I never. Oh yeah, you know, he is. Yeah, yep. right? He is yeah. in Taxi Driver. I mean, yeah. Yep. I was Very just gonna mention that. Yep. Uh, he's a gr- he's a great uh, actor. So great actor, great movie, one, great director. Good, Bruce. Two, yeah, two last thoughts. Um, yeah. Here we go with the blockbuster video memory. I remember we were talking about it being shot in black and white. I remember the packaging on the VHS at Blockbuster is if you turn it around, they actually have color shots. Mm. So when they shot that, Peter Boyle was shot in green, I think. It's like okay. it's really interesting to see it in color. And then the last line I really love is when they're sitting around talking about the monster and Terry Gar says, Ooh, he's going to have an enormous bomb shooter. And then, and then Marty, then Marty Feldman goes, he's going to be very popular. All right, that's it. We can sit here all day and quote this movie. You can quote the entire this movie, yes. Absolutely. All right, so I'm going to jump because we need to jump. I, My movie, and I could have picked numerous films, but this is one that sticks out because I started watching it when I was – I, you know, at Blockbuster Video, and my brothers watched it with me all the time. We loved this film. It was on HBO all the time. It's I'm Going to Get You Sucker. It was directed by Keenan Ivory Wayans. It was his directorial debut, uh, distributed by United Artists, starring Keenan Ivory Wayans, Bernie Casey, Antonio Fargus, Steve James, Isaac Hayes, Janet Dubon, uh, Don Lewis, John Byrne, and Clue Gallagher. Uh, who just passed away recently, in fact. Uh, Damon yep. Wayans, E. Plum from, if you remember, from the Brady, Brady Bunch. Yeah. Jan. Yeah. Jan. Yeah. Clarence Williams III, David Allen Greer, Anne-Marie Johnson, Kim Wayans, Tony Cox, Chris Rock in his, in his film debut, which is fantastic, uh, Hawthorne mm-hmm. James, Kadeem Harrison, Marlon Wayans, Nadia Wayans. It's a Wayans family production for sure. John yeah. Wayans, John Witherspoon, and Jim Brown. So this movie, um, Wayans... Got this idea of uh, parroting black exploitation films, black exploitation films. Uh, um, he got that idea from Eddie Murphy. Actually, he was talking with Eddie Murphy, and Murphy, um, came, you know, was pres- like he talked, started talking about this, and and uh, Wayans came back to him with a layer of time and said, "Yeah, I want to make a movie about this." And um, Murphy said, "Go ahead." And Murphy even gave him the the, the title of the movie. I'm going to get you, sucker. Is the you know he created that so. It's basically, um, you know, again, a parody of black, black exploitation movies from the 1970s, and uh, Wayans plays a black hero wannabe re- reunites with his former, uh, with former black heroes from the 70s to help them get revenge on Mr. Big. <laughs> and everything about this movie is making fun of those movies. You know, yes, like even yep. even at mm-hmm. the end, even at the end, Mr. Big is a white man, and that's they're yep. making fun of that. Yep. I mean, that's what this movie. That's John Vernon plays Mr. Big. John Vernon, if you remember, he was Mr. Wormer. Vernon. Yeah, he was <laughs> Mr. Wormer in in Animal House. I mean, yeah. he's a ter- terrific yeah. actor, yeah. actually. So. Um, it was budgeted for uh, $3 million, grossed just over $13 million, but it's, it had a huge run, huge run on HBO for years. Uh, he used several actors that appeared in black exploitation films. Antonio Fargus was in Shaft and Foxy Brown, and I think, wasn't he on, 
He was uh, he he was in Starsky and Hutch. He was Huggy Bear. He was Huggy Bear. Bear. That's right. He was Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear. I'm like, why do I know that name? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, right. Uh, Isaac Hayes. He wrote the theme. He wrote and sang the the theme song for Shaft. And was yeah, in the movie Tough Guys. Right. Bernie mm-hmm. Casey was Doctor Doctor Black and Mister Hyde. Jim Brown was in Slaughter, uh, Black Gun, and The Three the Hard Way. So all these actors were in these movies in the 1970s. Um, Janet Dubois, uh, Dubois starred in Good Times. She was um, yep. 133 yeah. episodes. Little girl. From, yep, from 1974 to 1979, and composed and sung the theme song for the Jeffersons. Um, moving on up. That was her. She wrote that and sang it. Yeah. Um, and there's also the film debut for actor Robin Harris, who would pass less than two years later at the age of 36. So this whole movie's running gags, like, you know, he comes home and his brother Junebug is dead. And Junebug died. What did he die of? OG, overgold. And so, all the gold chains. So the, how do you go to the bathroom with all those on? You know, I mean, there's just great quoting lines. But my absolute favorite part of this movie, and I quote it all the time, is Chris Rock going in to and buy food. I think the I, rib. The rib. The rib. One, I, rib. one rib. I just want one rib. One rib. Yeah, I mean. It's just, it's fat. Um. You got to change for 100. You got to change for 100. And, you know, it's just. It just nails everything about yes. those movies. Makes yes. fun of all the different aspects of it. There's yeah. just wanton violence and you know yes. gunshots everywhere and and you know it, it's yeah it's a fantastic film. Um, I could watch it any. Yeah, in fact, I own it on DVD, so I guess I could watch it anytime <laughs> I wanted. Michelle, what else did you have? Just very about? quickly, I wanted to yeah. spotlight two yeah. scenes that yes. I thought were fantastic in this film. So I'm just first of all, I'm a huge Wayans Brothers fan. I grew up watching In Living Color, which I will always argue is superior to SNL. Well, post 1980 SNL, I love right. In Living Color, um, but I have actually never. Last night was my first time uh, seeing this film, but I do want to uh, uh, spotlight two scenes that I thought were really, really funny. Um, I love the scene where um, the protagonist's mom comes into the diner and beats up the bad guys, and <laughs> in the next scene, like. The direct or the next shot, I mean, uh, she's replaced with a stunt man, stunt and they man. don't even try to hide with the a fact. mustache. Yeah, the guy's got a mustache, yeah, he yeah. has a mustache, he doesn't look anything <laughs> like her. They don't even try to hide the fact that she, you know, that's a stunt man. And why I love that so much, that is a spot on hilarious parody of the poor production qualities of yes. most black exploitation yes. yes. films. Like, one of my favorite. Uh, black exploitation films is Dolomite because it's so hilariously bad. Right. And throughout like 90% of the movie, you can see the boom mic in yeah. like almost every shot. Like it's so <laughs> bad, but it's so funny. But that's what makes yeah. it awesome. Exactly. That's, that's what I love makes Dolomite. It truly like, awesome. And that, and, that, and that really just hit me. I'm like, that is such a black exploitation production trope, you know, yep, to have right. that. Let's just like, you know, lazily as possible, like, yep. sh- you know, show the stuntman. But my other, the other scene I really like uh, is when John Vernon breaks the fourth wall and they're like basically like the characters in the movie at the end they're like why is John Vernon in this and he's basically like as, almost as John Vernon saying well many big stars have acted in exploitation films Shelley Winters wasn't yeah. Cleopatra Jones which right. she was yeah right. so right. I just I just love that moment yeah really funny film yeah, yeah really it's, enjoyed it. It, it's I like it you know I like the scene where he picks up the the girl in the bar yeah. and she's got like a face oh, fake butt yeah. fake boobs her the leg she's, was she's bald yeah, she's, she's, she's don't make me hop after you that <laughs> Yeah, it's so, uh, you guys are stealing my thunder because I mean, yeah, the rib scene. I remember they kept playing that over and over on sports radio, and yeah. I'm like, where do I know this from? And the other thing about uh, Jim Brown is like, 
he had such a, an enormous career as an actor. Yeah. A lot of people like don't even know he was the running back. Like one of the, the wasn't he the running back for the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, he was yeah, one, one of the greatest runs? players of all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. 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 He retired, I think he retired. Walter Payton might have broken his record or something yeah, he, like that. I Jim think, Brown. Yeah, Jim Brown retired very young. I think he was like thirty years mm-hmm. old or twenty-eight or something like that. And and uh, because he wanted to go into acting, and that's what yeah. he did. So yeah, yeah. And then one last thing, um, once again, Blockbuster Video, uh, Chicago Wabash location, uh, the year after I met you, Jay, I met Damon Wayans at that store, came in, uh, and I, at that time, I knew I'd seen the film, Get You Sucker, but um, it was in living color. He's a very small man. I just remember Keenan oh. Ivory Wayans being really tall. But Interesting. They, uh, that's it. Well, you know, and they also make fun of, in that movie, if you mm-hmm. remember, they actually make fun of Rambo because he... Cut, doesn't he get a finger, uh, like a a, a, um, a paper cut, and he uses like uh, he pulls out this little little, little oh yeah yeah this little needle, and he's little like and he's like yep. he's like burning, he's like ah, screaming because he's trying yeah. to you know it's that, just fantastic. Now there are so many great right. gags in this film, so yeah. funny. Yeah, he, it's definitely. I mean, what it is is making fun of those movies yes. and other and some other action trope as well, yeah, right? Absolutely. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So Michelle, we'll go with well, you. Speaking of action tropes, uh, I'm going to be talking about Hot Fuzz, one of my favorite films of the 2000s. Uh, one of my favorite films of all time. This is directed by Edgar Wright, uh, written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, uh, distributed by Rogue Pictures in North America, starring Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Jim Broadbent, Patty Considine, who was fantastic in House of a, uh, House of the Dragon, if you uh, watched that on HBO within the last few months. Excellent. Uh, Timothy Dalton, who was hilarious in this movie. Like, he's not known for being hilarious, but every time Timothy Dalton showed up in this movie, I just started laughing hysterically. Um, Bill Nighy's in this, and Mar- Martin Freeman, and Olivia Coleman who was like one of the most critically acclaimed actresses. She was in this movie back in 07 as like, she played such a silly role. She's like the um, uh, only female cop in Sanford. And it's just funny to think about like her because being in this movie, because she's so critically acclaimed right now. Also, uh, this also features uh, Steve Coogan, Kate Blanchett and Peter Jackson in uncredited roles. You see Peter Jackson for like a split second. He plays a Santa who stabs Peg in the hand. (laughs) (laughs) And Kate Blanchett, you only, uh, she plays uh, Peg's girlfriend and she's a forensic investigator so she's clad head to toe so you can't all you see is her eyes but you know it's her by the voice so this is the second film in Wright's three flavors cornetto trilogy (laughs) the first uh film is a zombie parody Shaun of the dead from 2004 and the final film is the sci-fi comedy the world's end so what's funny about the cornetto trilogy they're not connected by any sort of deep theme or by um characters or continuing plot lines they're connected by brief references to cornetto ice cream cones (laughs) so each film which i guess is like it's like a yeah almost like a drumstick ice cream cone I, I don't think they sell them here i think they just sell them in europe uh but yeah you'll see a brief uh reference to these ice cream cones in each of these movies and it's almost blink if you miss it like in world's end it's just the wrapper blowing around but um yeah each m- film represents a different flavor so Shaun of the dead represents strawberry because red is equated with like blood and gore Shaun of the dead is a zombie parody as i said hot fuzz is about cops so that represents the original blue cornetto because obviously blue is strongly associated with police officers and the world's end a sci-fi film as i said so that's mint you know as like you know representing right. aliens or little green men it's also a parody
parody of the Three Colors trilogy from the 90s, if you remember those French films uh, from yes. back in the day. Red, yeah. white, and blue, right? Yeah, right? yeah, red, white, blue. Yeah, so in an interview with Hollywood.com, Edgar Wright spoke about his inspiration for making this film, and he said he wanted to make a cop film in the UK because there really isn't a tradition of cop films in the UK. So it's absolutely uh, like none of the sort of the ones in the 80s and then very few in the 70s. We've got a lot of good cop TV shows, but we wanted to make a cop film. It felt like every other country in the world has its own tradition of great ac cop action films, and we had none. Now, obviously, the UK has cop, you know, and crime films, but they're not like 48 Hours and Lethal Weapon and a lot of the buddy cop action films or bad boys that I grew up watching, you know, with my dad. Mm. And yes, this is definitely a parody of those American buddy cop action films like Lethal Weapon and Bad Boys, which I've seen so many times with my dad's dad, I can't even count. <laughs> so the title itself is also inspired by the two word titles of action films from the 90s and the 80s, like Lethal Weapon and Point Break. <laughs> Point Break is uh, figures pretty significantly into this film. So, yeah, as I said, um, so the, the film is about a straight-laced cop named Nicholas Angel, um, who's played by Simon Pegg. And I love the opening scene of this film. It's basically a brilliantly edited montage that gives you it, it provides you everything you need to know about this character and how straight laced and kind of uptight he is and by the book he is and the song that plays in the montage it's perfect it's goody two shoes by adam ann like there couldn't be a more perfect <laughs> song for this character so he's a pen and notebook toting cop because he's, he's all about his pen and his notebook and he's yeah he, he's originally in london but he's re reassigned to the small village of sanford and partnered with the goofy buddy cop loving danny butterman is played by nick frost so danny loves cop films and he's kind of american cop buddy cop films and he's disappointed that like his everyday cop life in Sanford is boring you know they're like chasing escaped swans and you know <laughs> dealing with loiterers they're not really dealing with the stuff that they deal with in the movies so uh, Danny loves point break specifically the scene where Keanu Reeves fires his gun into the air and goes ah you know when he can't bring himself to shoot Patrick Swayze and he winds up doing that exact same thing at the end of the film <laughs> Like they have what I love about this film is they don't just like reference. No, there's like scenes, like shot for shot scenes from these action movies that are in Hot Fuzz. So along with Point Break, uh, Butterman loves one of my dad's favorite movies, Bad Boys Two. <laughs> and that, if you remember in Bad Boys Two, that's there's that that S just got real scene where Martin Lawrence and William uh, Will, Will, William Will Smith, Mr. Slap, uh, where the <laughs> camera. Okay, if you know Michael Bay is known for that 360 yeah. spinning shot that yeah. like and I can't stand that because I have motion sickness so it literally makes me sick and you see oh that exact God. same shot where it's just Peg and Frost towards the end of the movie and they're just standing there and then the camera goes like 360 around them like it's just so funny like Edgar Wright knows these films to a T <laughs> yeah. and I just love how he reflects that in his cinematography so I love how Hot Fuzz both faithfully parodies a plethora of these action film cliches and subverts them so uh, um, the resident like I said in Sanford you know they're dealing with like escape swans and and their biggest nuisance is like a living statue being annoying rather than like, you know, dealing with drug dealers and violent crime. So when there's a string of murders that starts happening in the in the town, they're confused as accidents, right? Because the townspeople aren't, you know, used to dealing with that. So um, like I said, Danny's obsessed with cop films. So he'll ask Nicholas, like, have you ever jumped in the air while f firing two guns? You know, <laughs> like you see that trope so many times in action films. And Nicholas says, no, because cop films are not like real life. But then later in the film, you see Simon Pegg, you know, in slow motion firing yeah, his gun sure. in, in midair. And then Wright uses uh, fast cutting and close-ups. One thing that this film has been lauded by, is, by actual police officers is how it's 
shows cops, specifically Nick Angel, processing police paperwork. So you see like montages of him like filling out paperwork, fingerprinting the, the suspects, taking yeah. mug shots, and it's shot in this way to make it seem really cool and exciting with these fast cuts and close-ups, like you would see in action movies when the heroes are loading their guns and putting on their armor. But then you actually do it later in the film. Right uses. Um, the same type of quick shots to show the characters loading their weapons and getting ready for the epic battle. You know, at the end, it turns into a, a full-blown action film. So another thing, another trope they make fun of is when you think an explosion is going to happen and the characters run as fast as they can to find shelter before the huge explosion happens. But in this film, nothing happens. But then there is an actual massive explosion later in the film. Right. The other trope it parodies is the villains with unnecessarily long monologues trope where the villain has to give you all that exposition, explain everything that, you know, their whole motive. But what's hilarious about this film is that Nicholas Angel theorizes what the motive for the murders is and it's super complex and well thought out and when you find out what the reason for the murders is it's really stupid like it's incredibly (laughs) stupid like it's so funny like I don't want to give it away but it's hilarious so like I said I love this film I think it's because it references a lot of action films buddy cop films that I watched with my dad growing up like Lethal Weapon and Bad Boys and I, I really love films about friendship and this is one of my favorite friendships in all of cinema like Peg and Frost have such great chemistry and I love how basically they use the best parts of themselves to help each other grow so Danny teaches Nicholas the importance of switching off from the job not being all about the job all the time and loosening up a little bit and Nicholas helps Danny appreciate all aspects of police work including the boring paperwork and to kind of take more (laughs) pride in his job because Danny just kind of does it because his dad does it you know so yeah I just I I love this movie I'd love to hear your thoughts uh I, it's a I, oh. it's a great film. Uh, yeah. it, you know, Simon Pegg is one of my favorite yeah. favorite actors, and I love this work. You know, I haven't seen it. You make me want to go back and watch yeah. this. I haven't watched this in a long time. It's so funny. Yeah, and I'll I'll definitely um, I will definitely jump back in. So, uh-huh. yeah, it, yeah. No, I love Simon Pegg. Love Edgar Wright. Yes. Um, yeah. He's extremely good. So, uh, Bruce, what are your thoughts? Well, this film was very well received, and I was kind of surprised. Um, so it's, I, I don't have a lot to say, but it's no wonder, Michelle, that you liked it. I mean, yeah, and there's a lot going on. That's, I, I, there's just a lot of thematically going on in that film. I haven't seen it just like you, Jade, a long time. Yeah. But, um, no, I mean, and, and, yeah, I could see what Timothy Dalton you were talking about. And it's always great to see people that are just totally out of character yes. or, yes. you know, making sometimes, you know, making fun at their own expense, uh, yeah. you know, and, and parody themselves. But, yeah, I mean, considering a very contemporary, and Kate Blanchett's another good example. Yeah. This woman is very, I mean, let's not forget my introduction to Kate Blanchett was Elizabeth, if I'm not mistaken. Right. That was mine, too. Um, and, yeah. and didn't she play... Um, Irina in Crystal Skull in uh, the Indiana Jones oh, yeah, film. That she did. I mean, it's not a very that's not a very good movie, but nah. I just I, I guess that's a testament to her versatility. Oh so, yeah, yeah, for sure. She played uh, Catherine Hepburn in Aviator. Yes, I she mean, did. she's a wonderful actor. Yeah, she's won two Academy right, Awards. She she's won two Academy Awards now, I think. Yeah, right? yeah. and she might get another one yeah. for Tar or however yeah, you pronounce Yeah, Tar. Yeah, yeah she's one of my like top three actresses of all time. Oh yeah, she's she's amazing. Yeah, she's very very good. Absolutely. No, great film and great great uh topic so let's jump real quick to uh next month uh next month michelle's idea Mm. michelle tell us what we're going to be talking about 
so we're going to be covering film scores that are not by John Williams because we're probably going to dedicate an entire show to him. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be talking about some of our other favorite film scores and hopefully be playing be playing some clips for you so you can really experience um, these songs. And we're going to be talking about like our emotions and memories associated with these movies and their music. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, movie movie music makes the movie. I mean, it really, yeah. I mean, you think about you know, um, you know, the effective use of silence. Then there is that in movies, mm -hmm. but you know, for the most part, you you've got a score in the background of a mm -hmm. film, and it just helps guide you through the experience. Yeah. So, and there's some great. Yeah, and John Williams is is the master, and yes. you know, if we're if we're gonna do do him right we have to do an entire show to John Williams. There's no question because he's he's fantastic. Bruce, your thoughts too. Yeah, I'm going to throw a teaser out there, yeah. and I'm glad you suggested I'm going to go with John Carpenter just to give uh, everybody just a real concept. But I'm going to mention this on the next segment, but real quickly, to get a moment ago, Jay, you were talking about the effectiveness of the score. Just to give you an idea how effective the score for Halloween was, um, when I was a sophomore in college, I purchased the actual cassette tape of the score to Halloween, okay? <laughs> so I was 19 years old. I put it in the back of my car. I put it on my car stereo, basically, right? And I'm all, I, I had to turn it off. Uh, I was too spooked. At 19 years old, mind you, I saw it when I was. I saw the film in seventh grade. That should be a testament to how effective the screen. I, I, I'm like, why did I buy this cassette if I'm not going to listen to it because I'm too spooked by it? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's, not to give you an idea. Though. Yeah, well, Carpenter, yeah, Carpenter's work's fantastic. We'll so, at length that the, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. So. Ah, that's all right. No, it's fantastic. It'll definitely be a talking point. And then uh, I think we are going to be uh, a couple episodes down the road. We're going to be talking about the, the blacklist, Hollywood with the blacklist, oh, yeah. and, and, and kind of give some history on that. Uh, and some movies that uh, come around that area, there discuss that area, uh, and then I, and the people involved, people involved, absolutely, no question. Um, Eli Kazan, right? I mean, he's he's a big name when big you time. when you talk about that, absolutely, mm -hmm. no question. Uh, and then uh, I, we discussed earlier, possibly talking about um, because we always do it in remembrance, and we're talking about you know actors that have left us, but I'd like to celebrate some that are still here. And Robert Duvall just celebrated. Uh, you know, a, a, an acting anniversary, 60 years almost to the date of his involvement in To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, uh, he, Mockingbird. He was in, in, he's not 92 years old in the uh, Netflix movie with Christian Bale, The Pale Blue wow. Eye. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, 60 years later, it's, it's, it's crazy. But mm. you remember Boo Radley? I, uh, yeah. He's so good in that movie. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think, movie. if I'm not mistaken, Robert Duvall is in that movie called The Natural, maybe? Yeah, yeah, he's in that. He's in, he's in, I had to throw that in there. He's in The Godfather. He's in, you of know, course, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, Godfather 1 and napalm. 2, right? Yeah, no, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. Right. So, all right. So, uh, Bruce, thanks for joining us, bud. We will talk to you, uh, you. soon. Be, take care of yourself, all right? All right, Steve. You too. Take thank, care, guys. Thanks. Bye, Bruce. And Michelle, thank you for being in studio. Yes, I appreciate course. it. And Happy we'll, to be here. Yeah, we'll talk to you probably next week with our weekly movie all update. Right. And this is Jay Schultz here, WHIW 101.3 FM. And I want to thank uh, both uh, Bruce Stout and Michelle Fahler for joining us today for Cinema Talk.